Well, tonight we're going to look at keeping your deliverance oh, and uh, staying free and keeping yourself free. There's so many people all over the world that are looking for a place to get deliverance and they just can't find anybody that can really help them get something off of them that's plaguing them. And so if you kind of explore this subject, you'll find out there's not a whole lot of deliverance out there. And from my experience, um, one of these guys that had helped me, one of these older men, he will not let you go through deliverance unless you go through his three-part series on keeping your deliverance. So we're going to make it nice, do it very quickly, get you all ramped up. As uh, David Hogan said, you're going to have to soldier up for this one. And so anyway, keeping your deliverance. Now, the first thing I want to say about deliverance is it's very personal. I mean, it gets in your business. It's not like a normal church who, you know, just, just so long as you keep coming and keep tithing, we're fine. But deliverance is something that is invasive, and it gets right in the midst of your mess. And so I was thinking about personal deliverance, and I can't think of anyone that had a more personal deliverance in the New Testament than Mary Magdalene. I mean, can you imagine that Jesus, you know, took this lady through deliverance, and then it actually tells you how many demons that were cast out of her. Like it numbers them. Like, I mean, you could be wearing your number tonight. Well, I had. You know, it doesn't name them, but it does number them. And it's not in there just once, so it's not just one writer that knew about it, but a couple of them. And, you know, Mary Magdalene kind of had a reputation that you'd think she might need a little deliverance. But in Mark 16, 9, you know, that famous Mark chapter, Mark 16, it tells that Mary Magdalene had deliverance by Jesus. And it tells you how many demons were cast out of her. And it's one of those perfect numbers. You all know how many. 2,000? Legion? Legion. <laughs> okay, thank you. Seven. Okay. And then there's also Luke 8, 2. And it tells you also the same thing, same number of demons. And to me, this is the most special account. It's one of my favorites, even though Legion has its attractions. I really like seeing that Jesus did something very personal for somebody. The Bible actually records the number here. So the first thing I want to say about deliverance for you, it's personal. The second thing that I want to say about deliverance is forget the Hollywood ideas that it's for those insane people, for the crazy ones that you know. Basically, that's about all people use it for, is if somebody is really disturbed, then you would recommend them as a candidate, but only them. The next thing that I want to tell you about deliverance is it's normal. It's for normal people. That this thing is called normal deliverance. Where did I get that? Is there a good verse on why it's normal? Well, if you remember in Luke 13, it actually is a verse about a demonic problem. A lady getting a healing, which is unusual because you don't think of a lady that has a condition that would cause her bones to not let her stand up straight would actually be a demonic problem. You don't think in those terms. But in this one is when Jesus says something so special. And this is when he explains to you that it's normal for you to go through deliverance. Now, maybe one of the reasons that we don't see people healed 
is because we're not doing deliverance. Amen. Because it says it twice. It says this was caused by Satan, and it says it was caused by a spirit. And so many times we just treat it as a healing. If it doesn't move as a healing, we just go ahead and let them die and we bury them. But we don't take the course of normal deliverance for normal people. And so what I like about this is how Jesus compares it to normal care. And he doesn't make it high alert, it's urgent, it's crazy, we have to do it. Because he said, why Sunday to the Pharisees? Of course, he says, well, you have animals, don't you? And he said, well, if you have a donkey and you had to untie your donkey from a stall and lead him to water, then he said you would do that on the Sabbath. He compares it to very normal care. And anybody that has farm animals knows that it's very normal to water an animal. You would actually do the miracle on the Sabbath. It's very normal to take care of an animal that just needs something basic. So this tells me that deliverance is normal and it's basic. It's not something that's crazy out there for every crazy person, but it's for this lady who'd been bound up for 18 years and no one could help her. It's the normal care. It uses the Greek words that mean bind and loose, luo and duo. It talks about untying someone, and it's a powerful image that portrays the truth that emerges from it, that this is something that should be going on everywhere. This should be just normal care. This is something that you would do literally for an animal is to water it every single day. It's the same thing with the deliverance. It's a necessary action, and it's compassion. But then it brings it to another aspect of deliverance. So you have the fact that it's normal, but you also have that it's for urgent situations. It's for emergency. Like it says that if one of your animals is caught in a ditch, you're going to make sure you take that animal out of a ditch. And that was his justification for saying this lady needs to be delivered on the Sabbath, is that it's something that's urgent that you would definitely have enough compassion for your animal that you would take care of it. Now, I'm going to make a little bit of um, assumption here, but he may be explaining it to men where they understood for the sake of their pocketbook that it's not wise to let an animal go in this condition. Same thing he was saying. It's not wise to let someone go in this condition for a long time. It's not wise to let them go even one day past where they're bound up and they have this problem. As we've looked at it, I've told you three different things about deliverance. First, it's going to be very personal. Second, it's for normal people. And that's the message I think no one has, that deliverance is for normal problems. And the third one is, it's for emergencies. It's for those crazy cases. Thank goodness that Legion has some hope. You know, the thing I, I think about Legion is the fact inside of Legion lived a worshiper. Can you imagine that in some of these deranged people that are crazy, screaming, crying out, it says he was lurking in the graveyards, he was cutting himself, he had to be tied up, that inside of that man lived someone that would worship Jesus if he was free. That when Legion was delivered, 
it says he fell to his feet and he worshiped Jesus. Boy, those are beautiful when you think about it. So these are the three things that you can know about deliverance. So it is for that person in chaos. It is for that person in torment. It's for that time when the spirit reveals itself. So when you have a demonic spirit and it reveals itself, what should you do? Well, the world has all kinds of answers. Get thee to the doctor. Get some medication. Come up with a way to cope. Do all sorts of different things that people have come up with to deal with it. I mean, this is as old as the Old Testament when David was summoned into the court of King Saul and he had to play the harp. It's like, get on the music. Let's start soothing your demons. And there's more truth to it than you'd think. You know, when people come by and their music is extremely loud, you think that's that angry music. And they're trying to drown out any thoughts that make their mind feel crazy. So it is for urgent. But what do you do when you find out that a spirit reveals itself? That is really the question that we're asking tonight. What should you do? And I was thinking about this. It reminds me of something I learned in our family. Our family has some chiropractics in it. And in the chiropractic training, the cases that you found that were the most difficult to deal with were cases where something happened like, let's say, where I would water ski. And if I immediately went to the chiropractor after I had water skied, then whatever damage I had done to myself that day on the lake, it literally would put me back normal again by taking care of it immediately. If you have one of your kids in football, if you immediately go get care, you make sure nothing's broken, and then it's put back into place, then literally that neck that won't turn or sets up and becomes something far worse, it's taken care of, and it doesn't cause you a problem all your life. But woe be to the person in a car wreck that goes two or three years and always has the pain but never gets treatment, never gets very basic treatment. And that's what I liked about chiropractics was that you could take care of something and it immediately made it where it would go away very quickly. Unless, of course, unless, of course, you don't go. And you <coughs> let it sit there for a while. And you start building habits around it. Conversations, thoughts, all these different things make that spirit that has revealed itself be bunkered in more. It is made a fortress. It's become a, a part of your personality, who you are, your identity. Your identity is affected by that spirit. And so that's where I would advise you that just like you would in the natural, get something so you could take care of it quickly and fast, then I would say the same thing's true about something like this, especially if you see it as normal care. And also you can use your authority and be able to speak to it and get that attack off of you. So the thing that I would give you is the verse that most helped my mom. And what she tells us is that she would cry out one thing, and that was, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And it's in the New American Standard, and it's Joel 2, 25 and 32. 
that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. You know, you can tell a difference in a deliverance when someone comes in and they've been crying that verse out for days. I'm crying on the name of the Lord. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. I'm crying out to you, God. I'm crying out. And it promises that if you cry out to the Lord, you shall be delivered. So anyway, that is your scripture. That's what comes from the uttermost part of you. That's what's in the deepest insides of you to get you delivered. Is That's where it'll get you freedom. Is if you really cry out and say, God, I want to be delivered. I want to be delivered. You know, just today I was listening to someone edit my mom. And she tells that famous story that... I love hearing her tell, and it's like uh, this old man and this young boy went down uh, to the creek together because the young boy had asked the old man, he'd ask him, how can I be successful? And the old man said, come down to the creek and I'll show you. The boy thought that was an odd place to be taught how to be successful. But the old man takes the young boy by the nap of the neck, and he puts the young boy's head underneath the water, and he holds him. At first, the kid's kicking and floundering, but suddenly the boy becomes still. And just about that point, the old man pulls the young kid out, and he says, when you want success as bad as you want that next breath, you'll get it. That's called desperation. And that's exactly what happens with freedom. When you want freedom as bad as you want that next breath, Don't kid yourself. God will give it to you. It's clearly in Scripture that all who call, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. The problem why people aren't getting delivered, they're not calling. They're not even talking to the Lord about it. They're not even asking about it. And here it's telling you that if you really, with everything in you, call on Him, you will get delivered. Sometimes, you know, they are persistent. They try to stay longer than you want you know I don't know if you've been like that where you know I've taken a few things and thrown them against the wall like cassette teachings in the old days or or different things to say Lord I've heard you deliver other people why when how are you going to deliver me but I can say in faithfulness that the Lord brought deliverance to me and it's not him being tested remember It's you being tested whether you're going to hold to his promises that all who call on the name of the Lord will be delivered. So this is a huge part of crying out. When we talk about crying out, a huge part of it is crying out for that freedom. So what stage are you in? Pre-deliverance? Oh, lousy me. I hate being around pre-deliverance. I mean, just let your relatives put up with you. I mean, it's something else when you're pre-deliverance or post-deliverance. I hope you're listening to this pre-deliverance because very seldom do people take the time to listen afterwards. But this gives you an idea of what you're going to do to be able to maintain and to hold the ground that God's given you. So, Let's just put it this way. There's a lifestyle around deliverance. There's a way of life, a lifestyle. The pre-deliverance is they're all revved up, restless, not much peace. You can always find their buttons. 
and they're what we call manifesting. I use that word last because so many of our kids go, you speak your own language around there. Like, we've never heard of these words that you guys come up with at Crosslines. Well, let me teach you a new one. It's manifesting. And if ever you've seen someone manifest, you'll never forget what the word means. There's not another word for someone that's manifesty. <laughs> they're just at that point that they're just like, they're ripe for deliverance. They're ready for it. And so the types of deliverance is for freedom. And it's time for a spiritual house cleaning in your life. It's kind of shocking how much people keep from the enemy that they shouldn't have in them. And we're talking about believers. I mean, it's appalling. You can go into a house pretty quickly into their physical house and tell how serious they are about freedom by what they collect, by what they have in their house. You can tell a lot about a man's house inside of him, his, his body, based on how he lives his physical life. So the best word is submit to God and resist the devil while the rest of us are resisting God and submitting to the devil. <laughs> How, as church people, we've gotten it backwards. But you have to learn that ability that I'm going to completely surrender myself to God, but I'm going to put a hand up to the enemy. And for the most part, people don't teach resisting the enemy much. That means resisting his thoughts, that means resisting that dark cloud coming over you. That means resisting the enemy doing something to harm your family. That means that lead us away from temptation, deliver us from evil, lead us away from temptations, testings, trials. You're pushing back. You're giving a resistance. So you need to say, there's a hand up. There's a hand up between me and evil. If you have not put up a hand, then you can't blame God for what happens to you because you only did half of the verse. If you're only submitting to God and you're only treating it as if there's only one power source, you're not obeying Scripture. Nowhere in your Bible does it say, ignore the devil and he'll flee. There is not a doctrine of ignoring the devil. So if you're only doing that part of Christianity that suits you or that's comfortable or that you've been taught and you're not paying attention in the Bible to the resistance, you're not going to get the freedom that you hope for. You're going to have something slip through. There is no way to not have things slip through if you're not actively resisting the evil one. So use truth. Speak truth. Truth will deliver you. Authority will deliver you. Repentance it's shocking. A good day of repentance will take care of half of it. Mm -hmm. Renouncing. And um, a deliverance with little manifestations or dramatic manifestations. This is post-deliverance or in the midst of it. It doesn't really make a huge difference with it. But when it leaves, you'll know it. It takes its filthy self and it leaves. And that's where this Bible study picks up is what happens post-deliverance, after deliverance. Let me just say this, because it needs to be said before you talk about the other. There is nothing like it of how free you feel when something that has plagued you all of your life leaves you. Amen. There is nothing like it to feel freedom. It's better than what I'd say relief. 
you know, relief, you can get rid of a problem, and it's relief. But with deliverance, it's different. You've had something that has plagued you, tormented you, made you miserable, and when it leaves, it is like a freedom you have never experienced. People just describe it as, wow, like a weight came off of me, or like I feel lighter, like I feel clean. I feel completely different. I always tell them, you're going to get a good night's sleep tonight. Because after deliverance, you're going to be different. It does something to the inside of you. And I feel for people that are coming to me for the first time in their latter part of their years that have lived with demonic assignments on them for years and years and decades and decades. And you know what it reminds me of? one of those great big boulders and you have water running over it and no matter how light water is and no matter how much water doesn't hurt your skin or anything like that consistently with the water running over that boulder it makes a path and so do these thoughts and these demonic torment that a demonic spirit can do to your life you're like that boulder that has a lot of wear on it so it's post-deliverance, that great feeling. I mean, I'd like to stop here and say, the end, period, I'm so glad. But the next part is what it depends on you, and that's maintaining that deliverance. Once you get free, then keeping your deliverance is mandatory. And there's a good reason why, that it's mandatory to keep your deliverance. So there's two verses in the Bible Thank goodness that Jesus explained because he did a lot of casting out spirits. You know, people talk about it. He spent about one-third of his ministry teaching and preaching. He spent one-third healing and one-third delivering people from evil spirits. The church needs to look similar. I don't know why we're not doing the deliverance. Actually, that's the most fun. It's first on the list of Mark 16 that these signs will follow believers. They will cast out demons. It's not hard. It's authority. It's something God has given you. I think he put it first on the list for a reason. And I don't know why people won't use their authority to resist the enemy. So there's a whole lot of examples of people getting gloriously free in the New Testament, in Acts, the Gospels. But... These two verses will tell you about how to keep your freedom. One's Luke 11, 24 through 26, and the other one is Matthew 12, 43 through 45. So you see it's a couple verses in both, and they're very similar. You can celebrate your freedom, but you must maintain it. Deliverance is not for the lazy. If you're spiritually lazy, deliverance is not for you. Because you need to have those faith muscles where you have a resistance. Now, it doesn't take superhuman strength, particularly, I'm, I'm saying yes, it's supernatural strength. But it's not, it's not something in your own physical self that has to be really good to keep your deliverance. It's yielding deeper to the Lord and what it says to do here. So, when a spirit tries to come back. Now... I enjoy it where when we cast them out that there are times, and this needs to be said because we need to celebrate this, 
they never ever even try to come back. It's just done. And there's times I tell people, they won't come back, it's gone. I don't know what it is in the spiritual realm. I like those the best. And Jesus used that once when he spoke to that spirit that someone had, and he said, don't ever enter them again. So he took care of it for them. He told them, don't enter them ever again. But other times, it's like Luke 11 and Matthew 12, that the spirit will come. Now, you may have a major panic situation. You've gone through deliverance. Two or three days later, you have a light, subtle, subtle thought that sounded like the ones you were struggling against. The first thing you've got to remember is that spirit is on the outside of you now. It's just knocking. It's just trying to gain permission. It's trying to get back in. But it's on the outside. That knocking is, is very persistent sometimes. It's like, let me back in. I won't back. But it's very different this time than before. It's on the outside. Okay. Treat it like it's outside of you. Don't act like it's all come back on you and lay down the floor and squall and cry. That is no faith. You must maintain that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be set free. This is not hard. But sometimes in our weeping and wailing, I think it's just we're crying for ourselves because we're going to have to do a little work. We're going to have to do a little bit of, of resistance. So this is good news that it's no longer inside. Now it's unique how Jesus explains this to us because he explains deliverance much like you're uh, doing housekeeping. Think of yourselves as a good housekeeper. Think of your home. Well, the first thing it says about a good deliverance is it's swept clean. Now, that's an interesting word to think about a house and, you know, it's just completely every corner is swept clean. You know, one of you, you were housekeeping. You know, there was the big test for you in the housekeeping with this this big rattlesnake skin that uh, <laughs> that was under big pieces of furniture, <laughs> and uh, and you have to you have to see where if you can find this snake that is my gosh three or four inches wide by length of this big skin five feet long. Well, anyway, you would think that swept clean is exactly what needed to happen. And if you kept it swept, then you would always be free from any harassment. That's not what the verse says. That's what the shock of this is. That it does not tell you that keeping it clean keeps the devil out. It doesn't say if you let it get messy, cluttered, dirty. If you have to clean it up again. If that's what it is, that it's dark, it doesn't say any of those things about it. That's how your mom would say about your room. This is an inhabitation for the dark underworld right here. <laughs> but what's odd about this, it's dangerous, swept clean, unoccupied, 
and put in order. And let me tell you why it's dangerous for it to be swept clean, unoccupied, and put in order. Because nature hates a vacuum. It hates empty spaces. God did not deliver you to be empty. God did not deliver you to get rid of the devil but not get in any more of himself. And that's what a lot of people want. They come for deliverance because they want rid of their problem, but they don't want more of God. Yeah. And so it sounds good. It sounds like what your mother would tell you. Swept clean. This is good. But it actually is what sets you up for something to want to come back in you. Something that wants to re-enter, it's because of the swept clean. It's, it, it's, the, it's the unoccupied. You know, because you think it would be the dark, the dirty, the cluttered, the chaotic. And while that does attract, it's shocking to think that so does empty. That's what deliverance does. It empties you out. And that's where the person who's praying for you, their job stops right there. Now, they may cry out for you. They may speak some covenant promises over you. But at this point, honestly, their job stops and your job starts at the point that they get you swept clean. They helped you clean up a house that you've left dirty, chaotic, your inward, your thoughts. You didn't even know those thoughts were wrong. Those habits, the nasty side, that personal side that you don't want to tell anyone. It reminds me of this guy that came to us, and he was a professional, very well respected. But he did not want to let us in on what really had taken place in his life. So you have to use discernment, and you have to call it out. And it's... it's I guess I'm going to say it's wonderful to see a grown man cry. But he was weeping, and he's a big guy. And he was looking upstairs and was hoping his wife was, was up there talking to Ann, and, and she couldn't hear a thing because he told us, well, I've told you things that I've never told anyone. And I'm like, you haven't told us anything. We've been discerning it <laughs> and, and telling you. And so what was happening is it got very personal with him. And then he got very free. That's why he invited us to lunch and said, I want to thank you for what took place. I wish I wasn't 70-something for this to have happened. I wish I had known this. It wrecked my life. He was called into the ministry, and this thing kept taking him out. And it wasn't by his own hand. It wasn't his own fault. It starts in your childhood of the enemy starting the most unfair assignment he can think of and weaving that assignment where people do the cruelest, most hideous things to you all your life and you you try your best to be a good Christian and you stand up to it and you're going to be as strong as you possibly could be. And everybody slaps you on the back and congratulates you for your strength but in reality, you're worn out and you feel yourself faking it and trying to be that perfect Christian that you know is available in the Bible, you know it tells about. 
And what you're struggling with is needing that deliverance. So I'm telling you, there's a danger to being empty. That it creates a vacuum that asks for trouble. It is wanting something to come back in and fill it. But it's wrong of you inside of yourself to just come because you want rid of something and not because you don't want room for something. So the possibility of re-entry. This is the key is what's going to re-enter you. Something will re-enter you here. It's not going to stay empty. This does not need to become a fact about your life. And it says it in this verse, and so many people use this as the worst excuse ever. It's a terrible excuse to not go through deliverance because of what this is. Mm -hmm. The last state of this man became worse than the... They hate it. So why go through deliverance? I'll just stay mediocre. I'll just stay partially possessed. (laughs) (laughs) Only my wife will know these problems. (laughs) I can hide these on Sunday. So people settle for no deliverance because of this verse right here. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to say coward. Mm -hmm. Not taking what's promised. The last state of this man. So you have these three things that happen are the possibility of re-entry. One is the fact that literally you are so sealed up and that thing never attempts again to come to you. Two, it comes back and knocks. And three, it actually comes back on in. And when it comes back in, um, it brings along a little company. And the inhabitation is worse. So some things I've been delivered of, and I never have struggled with them again. I had this thing that was a kind of a hangover, I think, from when my mom struggled with eight years of torment. And I had a generational curse of that, of actually the doubting of the existence of God for all things. Can you imagine? How can you have a personal relationship with the Lord and have a fundamental doubt that he even exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It both tried to live in me. But guess when it, it manifested? It wasn't there all the time. It was only there if somebody mentioned the dilemma and that triggered it. Or if I was up speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the very thing that I was called to do my name is the message. It's, it's what it means. The demon of doubt would scream so loud in my ears, I couldn't hear what I was saying. Mm-hmm. That was miserable. It drove me finally from insanity to I needed some help because you don't want to tell anybody that. I mean, foundationally, inside of me, I knew God was there. I had had many experiences with him. I had dedicated my life to him. I'd sold out. But yet I had something that would scream like a banshee in my head. It would scream terribly. It was hideous. I didn't want to tell anyone what it was saying. And some of you are having thoughts like that now, and you're like, you don't want to tell anyone what that thing's screaming at you. But that's what was happening to me. And I was speaking at the Episcopalian Church, my first 
major sermon. I had written this thing on a pantyhose cardboard in the trash can because God was speaking so quick. And you know, his favorite place to speak to you is, you know where, in the bathroom. And so you're reaching for anything to write notes on, and he told me these are the seven hindrances to healing. And as fast as I could write them, I took them down. Well, they thought I was unusual because I was so young and I had so much fire in me. And so they put me in the pulpit. And there I looked of all these city officials and doctors and lawyers. But I started preaching, and I was so lost in what I was saying. I love the Word of God. I love speaking about it. I was enjoying myself really at the, at the fervent best place of my sermon, first sermon. And literally that thing decided to start screaming. And I thought everybody was hearing it. It was screaming so loud, I'm looking at my notes, and when something's screaming in your ears, you can't read. I don't know where I am. I mean, I'm like literally tormented up there. I'll have to look if it's point six, point, <laughs> it was number six. I don't know which point I was on, but that literally became crazy. I got out of that pulpit that day. I was like putting that thing down, and I mean, it is, it is the craziest thing to be preaching on seven hindrances to healing and something like that screams. And I get down and, and that's when I figured out, I think this is a demon. Now that's good discernment in it. <laughs> to figure out this must be a demon because it doesn't want me speaking. And I thought it has to be a demon because when it chooses to scream. And I thought that thing is completely trying to wreck what I'm supposed to do the rest of my life. Now, if I was a person that did not know about deliverance, had never heard about it, did not have a heritage of it, I would have tried to get around that for the rest of my life when I was speaking. But it is terrible to be telling people about hindrances to healing and there be a voice telling you there is no God. There is no God. There's no God screaming. So I decided I'd take myself through deliverance. And I left the house and I told myself if I don't come home for three days it doesn't matter to me when I come home that thing's going to be gone mm -hmm. and in a fit of desperation of throwing myself before the Lord hitting the dirt I literally I commanded that spirit of doubt to leave me and when it did it was like my ears popped and I felt it leave me and then you don't want to tell anybody you don't want to think about it you're like is this really real I mean, did, did I have happen what I just think happened? I mean, did this squealer pig leave my parlor? I mean, is this gone? And sure enough, it stood the test of time that all these years later, I don't have any more screaming and the solidity of my walk with God has grown. Some of you need to go to the pastor. Some of you need to have that experience. So... That is where you can get delivered and never have it return. But there's been other ones that they, uh, they've left, but they come back for a visit. <laughs> and they see how I'm doing, and they want to stay a while. <laughs> Let me think. You know, you'll hear people, and they'll get delivered of some of the worst drugs. Like, they'll get delivered of drugs that you could never think that a person 
could ever get their mind freed from and their addictions. And you'll see their, a massive hand of God come on them to deliver them. But the little thing that lights up on the end of their, the little cigarette they can't get rid of, mm -hmm. you know, you, you'll see something little bitty try to hang on. Yeah. You can tell it not to. But that's, that's what tries to take place here is that something will sometimes try to hang on that's much smaller. And that's what my experience has been. Little irritating things have tried to give me a, a difficult time. So you've got to get rid of your myth to think that if God does the miracle, it's always going to stay gone. It's always going to last. No, I'm going to tell you, it gets challenged. You have to contend for it. Just It doesn't mean God didn't deliver you if it tries to knock and come back. It doesn't mean you didn't get healed if, the, if it tries to come back on you. It just means you're going to have to do a little pushback. So this verse blows that ideal when it tells you there is something we must do. That Jesus busts the myth that if he delivers somebody, that those demons could never return. Because you would think if Jesus delivered them, it would never come back. But he tells them they're going to try. So this is where, at this point, you want it to stop. It says that person is worse off. Worse off. When someone lets it back in, and they've had that freedom... And they feel what it feels like to know what life would be like with peace in their mind. Like when I speak now, I have peace between my ears. <laughs> I have strength. I don't have something screaming in me. I'm settled inside of me. In fact, when I think about God, I get tickled thinking about him because he's humorous with me. He's always messing with me. He even messes with me in the pulpit. And he speaks to me. And he makes himself very known to me now. That's what it's called when you have him back in you. He laughs. You know how women are. You love a man with a good sense of humor. And that's where my relationship with the Lord really took off, is seeing what a good sense of humor he has. If I admire honoriness, the Lord has plenty for me of like nature. So if a person has experienced what I'm telling you about, you don't ever want to go back. You don't want it to be worse. You were in bad enough shape that you needed deliverance. And for a person to become more tormented, it's terrible. It ought not be. You know, if I got back seven times worse, I could be a monster. <laughs> I better keep my deliverance. You know, people have asked me, do you drink? And I was like, with my personality? My gosh, I can't put my personality on engine juice. No telling what it would do. I wasn't racial there, I'm engine. <laughs> Crow Indian. But I'm telling you, you better keep your deliverance. It'd be like your personality all hopped up. I knew some of your bar days. And then it's not only that you're worse off, but it's more wicked. It would be terrible if the demon, it would be terrible if just the demon that left you came back. 
but for it to come back worse, where more demons come, look at what these two short verses are telling us. It's telling us a lot. It's not just the one demon coming back, but it says more demons come. So the one which left goes and finds some friends and said, hey, it was really nice in here. Like, they, they treat me well. They talk to me all the time. I mean, they feed their flesh. I mean, it, it's really a good place. They It's full of smoke all the time, and they listen to all the wrong music. I mean, they're like, it's a good place to live. You ought to come hang out here. So they bring some friends. And that, not only bring friends, but they bring friends that are more wicked than themselves. Do any of you have friends that are more wicked than you? Yeah. John's really said, yes, feel your pain. Okay, so you've got to write these notes down. Right here, it's, it means more wicked. It's a hierarchy. So demons have a hierarchy. Don't kid yourself. There's some that are rougher than others. I think that's why you fast on some of them. Some of them have a worse claw or grip. So there's degrees of wickedness. I mean, with children, you know that. <laughs> okay, so the last state, that's Second Peter 2.20, and that's when he says the last state of these type people are worse. You know, a perfect example, prime example, is uh, King Saul. He was so much worse. Depression, jealousy, to anger, to witchcraft, to murdered, and then suicide. <laughs> He was able to get both in. <laughs> he was both murdered and suicide. <laughs> you don't get that very often. That's a double play of the demons at the end. So the heart plane would soothe where the demonic agitation led up, but he soon got worse. So look at this. The takeaway from this verse is that it doesn't leave you in the same place. It does not leave you. Like when the emptiness comes, it's not going to leave you the same. It's either going to leave you better or worse. Sounds like wedding vows. Okay, it's going to leave you in a different place. This is where in Mark 9, 25, Jesus put it on notice. Don't re-enter. He sent this one off telling them, don't do it. So the answer to not being taken over possessed everyone saying they went from my my uh, worst friend to my very worstest <laughs> went your grammar teacher love that but I mean you know what I'm talking about they went from mean demeanor controlling to controller Jezebel Jezzy to the to the worst the queen of all Jezzies you better fill her up so you got to isolate those thoughts and tell them the truth. You got to fill back up. You got to feed on the word, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, intimacy with God, staying free. So there's a lifestyle around freedom. Just like there's a lifestyle around setting people free with deliverance, there's also a lifestyle around freedom, maintaining freedom. There's two different aspects of a human. You can know up front a demon can leave you. But a radically delivered person of a drug addiction 
What has to happen for that guy to stay free? He's got to find what I'd call a new normal. He's got to firm up any doubts of his salvation. He's got to be discipled. He's got to put in his prayer time, his word filling up. Because there's going to be some residue from being broken and from being trapped. Just because the demon's gone doesn't mean its hideout isn't still like... It, it makes a nest. And you've got to drive that thing completely out. <clears throat> There's a problem with a person being freed from an addiction or captive being let free because that person doesn't know what to do with their freedom because he's never been taught to be free. He's only been taught to be a prisoner. That's why many Christians sit there in the jail cell is open, but they've never come out. It's why the children of Israel cried out for Egypt. Because they had been delivered. I mean, that's the perfect picture of being delivered. But their soul cried out to be slaves. They had never learned what it meant to not think like a captive, to not think like a prisoner. And that's where I'm telling you, you must speak the truth to your thoughts. Because you've got mindsets. And your mindsets can be terrible after deliverance because you're used to being trapped. You think poverty. You think like you have no God in heaven that cares for you. You think like an orphan. You think like a victim. You think like someone that has no hope or no answers. You think like someone in the world would think. So the battleground areas. The battleground areas. Where are you being contested? Your thought life. You're being contested in all empty spaces. <laughs> That's your thought life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you one of those where they look in the air and they can see out the other side with the, when they shine the light through? Those empty spaces will get you in trouble. <laughs> what are you thinking about? Nothing. Hours there. What are you doing watching TV? What's going through your mind? Nothing. Those empty spaces are dangerous. I'll tell you another place, those passive areas. Your weak spots. The fleshy, fleshy spots. Oh, your little flesh creature. Fleshy. Oh, here's another one. Prayerlessness. Mm -hmm. mm, we took a prayer vacation. I'm on vacation. Why would I pray? <laughs> it's Sunday. I don't have to pray. They'll pray for me. Remember at the end of the service, we all hold hands. <laughs> Instead of saying amen, we say yahoo. <laughs> Prayerlessness. You either get wrong fellowship or no fellowship. Those are dangerous spaces. For a while, you don't need to go back to your old friends. You may lie to yourself you're ready to evangelize them, but they will evangelize you. <laughs> They're where some of those demons will come from because they got a bet on you. This will only last for six months. you got to get your strength. There's open doors. That flesh that let it in to begin with. Places where in the past there's been strongholds. 
And then don't forget this. You got to get rid of some stuff. Acts 19.19. I mean, you can't laugh any harder than this verse. In Acts 19.19 that Luke tells you how much money was in that bonfire. I mean, some people don't know if Luke was a Dr. Luke a Gentile or Dr. Luke a Jew, but I think that votes for him being Jewish. I mean, he had run an accounting system, and he knew to the dollar how much was in that bonfire. I'm telling you, you've got a lot of stuff to burn. Don't be selling it at the garage sale. <laughs> if that little possessed album got you in trouble, don't you be sharing it. And there's a little bit of difference when you get a spirit out of you of making contact with witchcraft and control. I'm going to have to repeat that because it was a shock to me to know there's a difference than me encountering a similar or familiar spirit and me encountering a witchcraft spirit or controlling spirit. Because things begin to link or to war. Or as Robbie and I were talking about, slander. Or you can get under a spell or have fuzz or head confusion. That all these things take place when the enemy's making a bid for you. And thank the Lord you're here because you kept the purity of the faith. You kept the strength that you needed to hold that out. So there's responsibility after deliverance. And I would tell you, put in the work. What do you do to fill it back up? Well, you want to go buy a hotel and see the word occupied. <laughs> That's what you want. You want an occupied sign on it. I'm having so much fun, I don't need you. <laughs> That's why I think I do better with deliverance, because I really believe serving God's fun. And so it's, it keeps you occupied. If people are bored, it, it leaves room for demon spirits. I mean, bored housewives. Oh my gosh. <laughs> bored am I. That, that's a terrible problem. Jesus doesn't tell us specifically what to fill back up with. And the reason I think he doesn't is he leaves room for variety. He wants to know what you will fill back up with that he has to give you. Like it's, it's your own special God plan to, to see what you want to take off the table, the banqueting table. Remember, he, he throws a banquet for you in the presence of your enemies. So while all the demons are yapping outside wanting to come back in you, that you need to be eating off of his table, what are you going to pick up off his table to eat on? That's why I think he doesn't tell you what to fill back up with. He wants you to make a decision. And if you eat like you eat here, pick two or three things. <laughs> what you feed on. Because you know what to feed on in the natural. There's fleshly feeding grounds, ear gates, eye gates, mm -hmm. that empty feeling. I miss that spirit. Some people do. They miss that feeling of feeling sorry for myself. I miss it. <laughs> I miss how that fear used to feel, that good horror movie. There's just something that feels so good. Come over here and gossip with me just a little. Let's get a little info together. 
you can start feeling your undelivered self. Oh, I like how anger feels. Mm, it makes me feel tough and in control. Like there's plenty that's inside of me so I don't feel weak. Because part of the problem is you got used to your spirit. It used to be your normal. And then you have road kills. And demons are, are attracted to your stinky flesh. That's how you know how you used to feed. And if you keep feeding that way, it, it calls up the wrong things. I don't think the angels are called in by that grouping. <laughs> Except for special assignments uh, to take you out. Or as Steph was reading to me out of the Bible, to take you up the mountain. <laughs> she found a great verse today. But you need spirit feeding grounds where you have intake. The word, prayer, fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. Prayer, the word, sharing scriptures. Isolate that thought and start speaking truth to it. Tell yourself the truth. I know that's new for some of you. You've never done it once. Look in the mirror and tell yourself the truth. It's good practice. Demons like to peek in. They like to look in your window when you have no curtains. It's occupied. <laughs> That's where the exchange system comes in. You're nailing down that the covenant of God is here. I'm not going to have things in me, that thought that contradicts what God says. You know, when people start letting things come back in, I mean, they're really cheesy. They act such spiritual, uh, super spiritual. I was getting excited about the next thing. They give pat answers. When it's not working, they have all ways to dress it up. You've got to nail down that covenant of God area in you. And you've got to get rid of your thinking errors. You've got to exchange it for the truth, the blind spots. Invite truth in. Tell him you'd like for him to come into your house. Tell the Lord, I'd like a spirit of wisdom to come on me. <laughs> How about a spirit of courage? How about when the spirit of fear leaves, I want the spirit of power and love and soundness of mind. Invite in the good things. Invite truth in. Where truth isn't loved and isn't respected, you're going to have trouble. Do you respect the truth? Or do you respect fear? Respect reasoning? Respect that other voice? that voice of a stranger that's gotten you in so much trouble, you have to tell yourself the truth in that area. You've got to fill up with truth. That would be what I would say, is you've got to love truth so as to be saved. So, in the end, when it's knock, knock, who's there? <laughs> this is calls. Knock, knock, who's there? It answers the Holy Spirit, <laughs> faith, love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, His presence. We're having a worship party in here. The Word, hey, go away. I'm keeping my deliverance. Amen. <laughs>